What's good? What's good, party people? Welcome to Candid Conversations. I am your host, Candia Johnson, a woman on a mission to help you show up and speak up anyway, despite dealing with fear, uncertainty, or self-doubt. We have a guest in the virtual building today, party people. We are discussing or challenging, I should say, the definition of this word resilient and what it means to be resilient. For me in 2020, especially during the pandemic and the social injustice issues that were happening across the country, namely George Floyd that sparked uh, social unrest around the world. One of my most requested workshop topics was leading during uncertainty and building resilience at work. And during that workshop, I often share a few of my personal stories, my personal storms, and how I have grown through them. And I also teach my participants my show up anyway framework for building your resilience muscle and growing through certain personal and professional challenges that you may be faced with in your business or in your life. But admittedly, the word is a bit of a double-edged sword. Oftentimes, this word resilience is used as if it is a badge of honor, right? To be able to bounce back easily or quickly. And so when I watched this TED Talk called Do Not Call Me Resilient Only to Deny My Pain by Francesca Andre, I said to myself, oh, my Candid Conversations peeps needs to hear from her. One, because I know her personally. And I know that she's also faced several storms, as we all have. And beyond a TEDx speaker, Francesca Andre is an award-winning filmmaker, photographer, author, known for creating emotional work, which tackles the complexities of human life and relationships. She writes and produces stories that spark conversations and have the ability to lead to real change and impact. And through her camera lens, she also invites you to a world of beauty, color, passion, and triumph. Her photography work has been featured in outlets such as Forbes, the New York Post, Connecticut Post, the Daily Mail, Black Enterprise, and Ebony Magazine. Last year, she released the first installment of a children's book series that empowers children of color. It's called I Am a Phenomenal Black Boy. And we're going to discuss that today because her purpose for writing that book was to encourage young black boys to be unapologetic about their identity, their magic, their history, and their brilliance. And so listen, today, beyond shifting your perspective about what it means to be resilient. I'd also like to challenge you to recognize that some of the behaviors that you may have been shown as a child are possibly working against you right now and what you need to step into that next best version of yourself. Because Francesca and I, we also discuss some of the behaviors that we witnessed as children from our parents and our grandparents and our uncles and aunts. And we now realize that this has been something that we've had to unlearn so that we could step into that next best version of ourselves. So y'all listen and let me know what you think. One of the reasons why I'm so excited about this amazingly talented woman being on the podcast today is she is one of the most thoughtful and considerate 
individuals that I've met on these internet streets, okay? Because, you know, sometimes you meet and you connect with people online, and then when you take that relationship offline, the energy and the mutually kind of beneficial relationship is not mutual, not so mutual. And so she's been thoughtful and considerate and connecting with me since we initially met, I think it was about two years ago. And so I'm super excited to introduce you all to Francesca. Thank you for having me. My name is Francesca Andre. And what else can I say? I'm a storyteller, children's book author, and award-winning filmmaker. I'm a lover of avocado and mango, originally from Haiti. I'm a friend, a sister. Well, I don't have a, a, a sibling sister, but I would say that I'm also a sister. And, and the mother of an amazing, phenomenal son, Limier, Gustavo Limier. And I'm just so happy to be here to have a great conversation with you, Kandia. Yay. So what's bringing you joy and or gratitude these days? Mm, I would say my breath, knowing that I'm here, that I'm alive, especially the past couple of years, I've dealt with death. So many people that I know have also been dealing with loss. So when I show up and when I'm aware that I'm here, I'm very grateful. Sometimes I just get into being busy. So I'm not always that mindful and gratitude. I'm very grateful for my son. He's definitely it gave me a new beginning, a new story, and an opportunity and a reason to show up every day mm. and to get closer to God, to believe in God, to believe in God's grace. So when I look at him, I see, I look at him as the manifestation of God's grace. So my sons bring me a lot of gratitude. Of course, I'm, gra- I'm grateful for so, so many other things, but I think this has to be on the top of my list, of my gratitude list. Amazing. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. So tell us about the work that you are most proud of. Mm. In addition to your son. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? Well, he's God's work. He's God's I'm work. here to guide him and he's here to guide me as well. What I'm most proud of, I, I really do like writing Phenomenal Black Boy. I, I don't know if this is, I can say that every phase of my life brings a different level of creativity and if an idea comes, I just surrender to that idea. But it was in the middle of the pandemic. And it, it was really about choosing faith over fear, choosing being creative over complaining. So when I took all that energy of fear, anxiety, with all the protests that were happening and seeing how Black people around the world were being treated, and how that was affecting my spirit, my energy, and for me to tap into that and transform it into a book for young Black children, young Black boys, I think it, it, it shows we always have a choice. Even when there's fear, there's doubt, we can always choose the direction mm. and shift the energy. So that's something that I look at it and I'm very proud because I know that it's, it's making a difference. It's making an impact. So... Right. I, I'm part of most of my work, so that I don't go back and say, oh, I really wish I didn't do this. I really wish I didn't produce this. I, I don't get, because again, the idea comes and my, my, my mission and my job as a creative as, is to really be a vessel. So I, don't, I try to detach myself once I'm done with, with that. Right. 
One of the most profound things that, that you've just said that really resonated with me is that in that moment last year, in the midst of the pandemic and the midst of the George Floyd murder, you made a choice, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure, because how old is your son again? So my son was seven months at the time. He just turned two. Right. And I'm telling you, just being in this country, it's not only America, what's happening all over, you see people just speaking up and, and to see that there's this collective pain was very sad to see. And I'm like, how am I going to equip myself to raise him, to love himself and to understand his, his worth when the world ha- is depicting writing a different narrative right because i mean just making the choice at that moment for your son who's now two but of course we are seeing these instances happen these unfortunate instances happening to grown men i'm sure there's a fear that even exists for him at two throughout the years and so you transform that into a book you've also you know i am in love with this ted talk do not call me resilient only to deny my pain. And first, I want us to discuss the definition of resilient, right? So when I looked it up, Mm. Merriam-Webster says, resilience is about your ability to recover quickly or adjust easily. So it says, resilience is an ability to recover or adjust easily to misfortune. And the word, I don't know about you, but for me, quickly and easily just doesn't sit right. In very inhuman in a way. It's very, it, it res- definitely dehumanizes mm-hmm. a person's pain. And so for you, how do you define resilience? I, I would say it's, see, that's a word that I don't even want to, I'm trying to separate myself. Mm and keeping that word out of my vocabulary and but i think it's it's it really depends on who i'm with and the context and what i'm dealing with what the situation is so let me let let me ask the question differently what are we getting wrong about resilience well i will tell you what i address in my tedx talk and it's the fact that a lot of times it really empowers people to be bystanders instead of in my own personal life, for example, I'm I'm going through a lot. I'm going through pain. I'm grieving. And the first thing that comes out of people's mouth is you're so strong. You're so resilient, not knowing that there are nights where I can't even fall asleep because the pain is keeping me awake. People don't come and say to you, what do you need help with? How can I help you? How can I make, this lighter for you when they put that stamp that label and tell you that you are strong you have to live up to it and sometimes it will stop you from asking for proper help because you have this narrative and this word that describes who you are you don't even give yourself proper time to recover proper time to heal proper time to sit with whatever you're going through and be a human being. They don't put that label on all people. It seems like they tend to put it specifically on black and brown folks. And that's the part that doesn't sit well with me. The part of me 
with my Haitian identity also doesn't like it because I remember when the earthquake happened and this is, was the word, they're so resilient. That resilience did not empower outsiders and other people, other nation to really, and even the leaders of, of, of my country to move things forward, to move the country forward, to make things better for the people. He did not do that. Resilience at times says that you can handle this. You can handle this. You, you can handle this, therefore you deal with it on your own. And resilient also, to me, stop people from seeing you. And, and when you become invisible to yourself, to others, to me, that's very dangerous. So that's so interesting. And several things that you just mentioned, it, of course, I have to go into this TED Talk. And don't worry, y'all, I am going to link the TED Talk in the notes. And I haven't had a chance to discuss this with you. Last year, especially during the pandemic, many of my corporate clients wanted me to talk about leading during uncertainty and building resilience in the workplace. And I have decided over the last two months, I always include links for people to learn more about the topic. And I've included your TED Talk as required reading before my workshops, because I just love your entire shift in perspective about resilience at times, some people use it as a badge of honor, and it is not. So I want to thank you for that and just share this with you because I think millions and millions of people identify with what you've just said, and uh, it can be so helpful for us and not trying so quickly, I think, to bounce back, right? And just to easily get over it. So what was the aha moment? When we think about this TED Talk, what was the aha moment or series of moments that led you to want to deliver this, this TED Talk? So I'm actually, I was already writing uh, a book and then that particular chapter was me expressing my disappointment, my anger towards people who didn't see me and who at times deny my pain when I will tell them what I was going to and how heavy it was. And they would be like, you're strong, I know you're gonna get it. I'm not saying they were wrong for saying that I was strong. I'm sure in their mind they were probably equipping me and helping me to have more confidence or give me some type of hope. At the same time, it, it made me feel very little and also lonely and by myself. They don't see, they don't understand. It's okay to be in pain. It's okay to acknowledge it. And we don't always have to get up so fast and say okay you know look at me I, I guess this whole microwave healing it's is the part i do not endorse i know? like that you said microwave healing i've never heard that i'm gonna have to steal it from you <laughs> yeah i use that word microwave a lot because again that's something that's new back home cooking takes time you know and we cook right. only for one particular day and after the next day it's fresh food it's something else there's time to process everything there are there have been times where i wanted to hurry up with the healing as well and i realized grief is a it's, it's a journey it's an art on its own and and so is healing okay you don't really you can't put a date on it to say that but for me i used to say by the time my son starts school or by the time my son walks i want to be able to be healed you can be in a better 
position mentally, spiritually uh, for yourself and, and for, for yourself, you know, in that process, but you really cannot put a date and people shouldn't also, you know, have this expectation on other people. Right. I have had people say to me, you know, now he's a baby, you know, at the time he was like a baby, an infant, They're like you can cry, you can't see, but the moment he stopped understanding you being sad, this can impact him. Well, I do want to stop. I want to raise my son for him to understand that life is also about ups and downs. There are losses in life. There are griefs, and there's grief. And uh, sometimes mommy is sad. Mommy needs time. I think by him observing how I deal with it in a healthy way, by not denying my feelings, my emotions, I think that it will make him a much more balanced person. Okay, and because what I'm dealing with right now, it's not remembering seeing my mom or my grandma cry about anything. I've just seen them push through no matter what. And I thought something was wrong with me that I'm processing pain differently, but nothing is wrong with me. This is the way that works for me. Now to go back to your question about the aha moment, it has to do with what I was writing at the moment. And I started doing an event weekly conversation on clubhouse and then the title was the resilient entrepreneur although i do not like the word but i really wanted people to share the good the bad the ugly of entrepreneurship not only when we see people we put them on a pedestal because we only seen them at the top of their journey but there is a whole process there's a road and sometimes there's a lot of bumps on that road so i wanted people to come and really share those bumps so people in the audience can relate and then also find encouragement to go about their own journey okay so i did that and then i saw there was a call for speakers connecticut college and then the title was resilient bodies i say okay first of all i'm writing a chapter about that and i'm also doing a weekly uh event on clubhouse about resilience i said okay let me give it a try but except that my perspective is not what I, I don't think that's what they were looking for. So I literally wrote something that's against what they're looking for, but that has to do with resilience. And it was accepted. So I was like, okay. So when it was accepted, I'm like, oh, so I really got to do this. Oh, Lord. So it gave me an opportunity to really be vulnerable and share that part of my journey and because that's something that I am very protective of. I don't go online and, and say I share uh, pictures. I, I do certain things, but I don't really go and express myself freely. And that was my way of expressing it. And also everything I've been taught about pain and how to deal with pain and separating myself and getting rid of those type of teachings that I feel like were really oppressing me that they weren't serving me and I had to get rid of them. Right. So well, I want to touch on a few things that you've just mentioned, but one thing, kudos to you for teaching your son differently, because what I find in my line of work and coaching and training uh, workplace and entrepreneurial leaders is the reason why so many of us struggle to show up, struggle to communicate the value we bring to the table. We struggle to uh, ask 
for what we want and what we need in our relationships and in the workplace, we struggle to advocate for ourselves is because we are afraid of those not so good emotions. We are afraid of feeling rejected or getting disappointed or just being in a space where we're sad over the rejection. And so one of the things I remind myself of in an episode on the podcast is called Feel All the Feels. Like get yourself in the habit of feeling all the feels, sadness, rejection, humiliation. It should be on the same line of happiness. It Mm -hmm. all matters, right? And so when people talk about what it means to be happy, to me, well, happiness is fleeting, so I want to stick to joy. But (laughs) it's accepting all parts of yourself, accepting Mm -hmm. the fact that you can be sad, you can feel sad and rejection and all those sorts of things. So kudos to you for also now passing that on to your son. I think it's a beautiful thing because I was probably the same way. I never saw my grandmother cry, not Mm -hmm. one time at all. Even when my grandfather died, I never saw her cry. Mm -hmm. And so you established that that's what it means to be strong, right? When you do not cry and you hold it together. And then it follows you in your line of work, Uh, right? It follows you. Since I was little too. Right, right. And so during your talk, you talked about learning how to swallow your tears and swallow your pain. And so what are the specific steps or things that you've done to unlearn and learn how to cope better? I think it kind of, there was a burst, okay? (laughs) I got this identity of, I, I could be in an argument with you and you start crying and I'm very emotional inside and I just have a straight face. Remember I had a roommate, a friend of mine, she's like, you're such a hard-headed Scorpio. You just want to control the conversation. Look at you not crying. And that time I just burst. I was like, <gasps> and then she ended up holding me because that something she didn't, doesn't, she didn't know is they will, as a child, my uncle will, why everybody, you know, get, you know, got the whooping back home in the Caribbean, Haiti. So that's, that's not a sad story per se, because it was normalized, right? So you, I'm not saying it's saying, oh my gosh, I was abused or anything like that, but it was a part of the, the culture. That's not that it was right, but anyway. And the thing is, if, you, if, if you're supposed to get 10, you know, the reason the ruler or the belt, they, you're supposed to get 10. If you miss, make them miss one, they start over again. So you had to be resilient, mm. keep your hand and endure the pain until it's done. And in crying, it will be like, you better not cry. Which means the, the word to word, you know, word by word translation is swallow the tears. So my uncle will always say that because if you're crying after you've done something wrong, that would incite to get more, you know, that would increase the number, right? So, and I ended up getting really good at times. Also, I started saying, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt. A lot of kids back home will say, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt. Or we really hurting. Because to show the, the adult that you do not have power over me. I took that to follow my life. What comes to everything that hurt, like that doesn't hurt. I'm good. I'm going to show up. But I would call 
very specific people in my life and I'll be like, oh my God. And I will just, I still have a good friend. I call Corrine for everything. I said, they have no idea, you know? And they look at me, they think I'm not phased, but I'm actually super sensitive. I'm at this point in my life where I can't even hide it. And I do not apologize for it. Mm. If I even feel negative energy or something that's borderline evil, intentionally someone is trying to hurt someone else, I'm crying. Mm. I react to it. I, I, I try to protect myself by not watching the news and certain type of news. Certain comments online, especially last year, I couldn't understand how somebody's soul and spirit can be that dark to not see another human, to not understand somebody else's pain. Ooh, I cry. Watching a movie. I see a father walking with his son. Tears of sadness and joy mixed together. So my life, joy and, and joy and pain and sadness coexist. Mm. And, and I think that's kind of like what life has, has taught me lately. Right. I love that. So it's really, you're living by feel all the feels, <laughs> no matter where you are. Feel all the feels. I love that. Feel all the feels. So what piece of advice, because we talked about this a bit before we actually hit record of the podcast, but what piece of advice would you give someone who is growing through a personal storm? And listen, y'all, I use growing through very intentionally. I believe we grow through things, even though they may not feel good. They may be very traumatic. I believe that we're growing through them. What piece of advice would you give someone who is growing through a personal storm right now and they still have to show up for, in their business, uh, in their workplace, for their families? What piece of advice would you give them? Time, to give yourself time. And it sounds cliche, it sounds simple, but it's so important, mm -hmm. you know? For me, I will tell you the uh, absence of a loved one. When you spend years loving someone, you can't expect to get over that and, and over on, in one year and for you to become a guru in the matter of loss and grief and dealing with death, give yourself time. Mm -hmm. And that's one way you can show up for yourself. And if that means that you protect it, you don't share too much about it and then you seek professional help, Surround yourself with people that see you, that's not pressuring you, and that's not taking your tongue, your voice. Don't, don't shut down to yourself, because some people do that. Now, I'm saying all this, I don't, how, how I reacted, how I was processing things two years ago is not the same way I'm doing things now. And it's because I give myself time that I can realize this wasn't working for me. Mm. And this is where I am right now. So even all the activities that are keeping me sane and, and that brings temporary happiness, I'm still going to be, allow myself enough grace until I understand 
okay, this worked for you in 2021, but it's not working for you in 2022. There's a reason why you were jumping on so many projects. Sometimes only time can give you those answers. So you gotta give yourself time when, as you grow through things. The growth, the growing through it, will give you a different perspective on why you did certain things. Mm, I love that. I also, because I, I know you mentioned several activities, and yes, you have a new book that was recently published. You have the TED Talk. I know you're in talks to resume the show. If you can talk about it, you can talk about that. So I, I'm interested, though, because I have a lot of moms single moms and, and moms and two-parent households. And I'm interested in you sharing how you juggle it all because you're committed, you're a committed, amazing mom, and then you're committed to uh, also sharing your story so that it helps so many other people in many different ways from visual, from your film work to books. And so how do you manage uh, sharing yourself with the world while also, of course, being committed to your, to your son? What's your time management hacks, I guess? Okay, so my film work has stopped. Film requires a lot of commitment and sacrifice and the film industry is not kind to mothers and women and people of color and it goes on, the list goes on. But to be able for me to be on set for 16 hours, that's not something I can do right now. So I will continue creating visuals and telling stories, but different medium probably until I'm in a position to really go back into film, filmmaking. So that's something that's not there. Photography, I don't do it during the week. So weekends, I book my clients on the weekends. So I don't do a client every weekend because I need time to reset, to recharge and to be with my child. So once you write a book, you promote it the first couple months. After a while, you got to sell by itself until you do more interviews. And then, so there's nothing to really juggle when it comes to those projects. Because once they're done, they're done. But I will say this. I have a great support system. My mom, for example, now I said to her, 1 p.m., I have an interview that I'm doing. And she took care of feeding the baby prior so I can get ready. So that's helps me a lot with managing my time and also very flexible schedule. I know when to take my break so I can do certain things. The other things that I do is also, for example, I don't do my shows at 7 p.m. on Tuesday and I'm going to start a new show that's going to be on Monday. It's not my favorite day to do anything because I want to make sure I get most of the work done. But now I know that Sunday has to be Sunday afternoon. I got to prepare myself for the week. So that gives me like an early start. It's also at 7 p.m. It doesn't last more than an hour. I, I would say that I'm really good at managing my time in that right. sense. Right. And it sounds like, too, that you, like me, I j I'm flexible. I don't like doing work on Mondays either, but I have a new workshop that I have slotted for on Mondays. And so that means I have to be a little bit more open to Sunday, Sunday afternoons like you getting mm -hmm. some things done and getting prepared. And so for me, I I'm also not an evening person. So a seven o'clock anything is usually out of the window for me. But lately I've had some seven, some 7 p.m. things I've had to do. And I've just learned to just be open and think outside of the typical nine to five Monday mm -hmm. through Friday thing. And I know one of the things I strive for. So 
Tony Jones, she's an affirmation musician. She always says, uh, and what, one of her lyrics in her music is, your weekend shouldn't be a retreat from your weekdays. And so I just try to switch. Sometimes Saturday is going to be a Wednesday or a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And so I often challenge myself with that. Yeah. You know, turning that into action every week. From my, uh, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I will, I, I'm okay with that. So this has been amazing. How can we continue to support you as you show up in the world and your work and the things that you have going on right now? People can book me, book a photography session with me. It will be a weekend on a weekend. He's an amazing photographer. <laughs> I, I, I can't, when I start to publicize this, you'll see some of the photos, but she's, she's amazing. But go ahead. Thank you, Thank you. you can um, buy my book. I'm a phenomenal black boy. You can go and, and watch the TEDx talk and leave a comment, share with other people. So there are plenty of ways you can support me. You can, you know, there are a lot of Haitian are doing great work in Haiti. One way you can support me is by supporting them. Yeah, and then support other people, support other creatives. I think that energy will come back to me somehow. Yes, I love it. And don't you all worry. I am certainly going to include all of her links in the show notes. Thank you so much again for being on the Candid Conversations podcast. I will talk to you all. See you soon.